Good morning. Uh, as we gather together each week, our goal is to focus on God, not focus on ourselves. Our goal is to worship and to give praise for what God has done in our life and what He's doing in our life. Um, this morning, for me, worship has already been going on very comfortably as I've listened to people sing and give praise for what God is doing in different places and how God allowed them to serve. Um, I'm very thankful that our church is willing to continue to stretch ourselves, to grow in an understanding that worship is more than just coming and singing or coming and listening, but it is actually related to impacting us in a way that we are more effective in allowing ourselves to be given to the Father. And uh, I'm, I'm just thankful that we're able to gather together as brothers and sisters and do everything we can to worship God and give Him credit for all that we are and all that we do. This morning, <clears throat> uh, it's first Sunday, 2016. Guess what my sermon is about. <coughs> you know, you're sort of, uh, it's almost a built-in given. You're going to have to talk about what you dreaming for the future and looking at the year and all of that kind of thing. And those are things that are built in to what is being said and what we're looking at today. Because we're about to look at the book of Psalms, um, Psalm 51. Um, and the goal as we look at the Scripture is to challenge ourselves in being sure that we are in a right position to serve God, to be blessed by God. Not spending time worrying about what the past was, but looking to the future, expecting that because we are trying to be all that we can be in our walk with Him, we will be more and more effective in serving Him. My prayer is that even as we've heard these testimonies today, we will hear more and more of those testimonies. And my prayer would really be that some of you without being asked, would ask uh, of me or others whether or not it would be possible for you to share on a Sunday because you've seen God doing great things. And you want to share it with the brothers and sisters. It's not about you. It's not about you being prideful. The only pride involved in that is, isn't it great that God is doing great things? And we need to be that kind of people that we're so excited about God that we hunger to share with other brothers and sisters because we know it will encourage them. Psalm 51, verses 1 to 13. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. We're going to read this a little slow because I really want us to chew it up a little bit. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless. When you judge, 
Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the heart part, in the hidden part. You will make me known wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation. And sustain me in a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will be converted to you. Chapter 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, I know you will not despise. This morning we're looking at our hearts. If our hearts are right with God, if we're sincerely up to date with all the new upgrades that are necessary in our lives, in our walk with God, God can do amazing things. As we look at 2016, that is the exciting part of it is if we are in tune with God, if we're walking with Him because we believe He can do great things, He will do great things. But you know, I have to consider the author. You know, we know that God is the author of the Scriptures. But as we look at David, as he wrote here, I have some problems with David. David makes me uncomfortable. He makes me uncomfortable in the same way that Solomon makes me uncomfortable. They're not consistent in their lives. They're not, they don't always have it all together the way that they should. You know, when I remember David, sure, we all know the story of David and the giant, Goliath. We know the story how David came in and he, he said, you know, hey, all of you guys are having problems with this, with our enemy out here. I can kill off this, this, this giant. Give me five stones, we'll get at it. And he successfully does so. So we were very impressed with that David and his courage. That very same David is a David that under King Saul made a good friend uh, of Jonathan, the son of Saul. But their relationship was all kind of mixed up too because Saul didn't really care for the pride and didn't really care that much about David and really struggled and so kept trying to put David in these awkward positions where David would have at least major injury and possibly death. But each time that happened and some kind of a little plan came by Daddy, Daddy Saul, Jonathan, David's good buddy, told him about it and warned him. Took care of his friend. But later in that story, we find that 
Saul and Jonathan are actually uh, killed and taken out of the picture. And gradually we find that David becomes a king himself. And when David becomes a king, life is good. Now you've got a man that started out as a shepherd boy. Pretty good uh, raise in lifestyle. But he's, he's at home and he's looking around over his city and the housing was much like it would be in Hong Kong. And he looked out and he saw this, this person over there, this, this lady who was very attractive, was bathing. And he said, wow, she's really a knockout. And the Scripture says that Bathsheba became David's challenge because Bathsheba was married. Now, technically... Because Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was off in war, they, have, well, they, had, they had temporary divorces that they gave these men so that technically if they died off in, in war sometime, the, the wife who was left alone would be able to remarry. So there was a divorce that was sort of there, but very much in David's heart. He still knew this is a married woman. And David pursued her. And so, even as he pursued her, the Scripture says that ultimately David put Uriah in positions where ultimately it would result in his death. Because he, he was the, 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 the one in charge of where the battles were to be. And so we look at the Scripture at that point. And we see a David who is doing some things that sometimes look good, sometimes that look bad. Again, just like Solomon. Solomon with all of his great wisdom. David with all of his great wisdom. When you look at the book of Proverbs or you look at Psalms, we're looking at these the writings that are just wonderful. Great teachings, great theological understanding. But consistency of life. These guys had good days and they had bad days. I struggle with that because I really want an ideal model out in front of me. And praise God, I have it. Jesus. Only Jesus. I think it's fine to learn from these men and to see what they have been through. But I need to remember that Jesus is my ultimate model. And we also have to recognize that David's story, as bad as it became when he got involved with this, this woman and ended up ultimately leading her husband to death, which would be the same as murder, the story doesn't end there. So has David lived a great life up to, the, up to this point? The answer is some good, some bad. And I think we need to reflect on our own lives and ask ourselves, what kind of life have I lived? Maybe I'm some good, some bad as well. It's really hard. I would so much like to say to you, look at me. Paul does this. You know, he says, look at me. And I keep thinking, boy, please don't look at me. I want to say that to my congregation. Don't stare at me. But David... His story didn't end there because the Scripture says that there was a parable that came to him basically through the prophet Nathan. And Nathan comes into the picture to make a visit and to reprove David. 
And in 2 Samuel 12, it says that he came to inform the king of a great injustice that had come into the land. A rich man with many sheep stole the one beloved sheep from a poor man and had it slaughtered for a feast. And then he said, now, King David, what do you think about that? And the response from the king was, it's wrong. He deserves death. That is absolutely terrible to abuse someone who is weaker than you in such a way. And the response from Nathan was, and that person is you. In how you dealt with Uriah and Bathsheba. God used all of his life as a teaching point at that point. At this particular moment, David was forced to reflect on who he was and how he functioned. Today I want us to look at chapter one or chapter fifty one, verse one. And I want us to think about an assessment in chapter fifty one, verses one to four. And basically it's at this point where David is writing and he's assessing his life. He's looking back at failures. He's looking back at times when he's been less than he should be. And he's saying, God, be gracious to me. Now, I think the reason I use the word assessment here is the very first thing he does in verse 1 is he emphasizes who he's going to as the source of his communication. And that's not one of his good buddies. It's not one of his friends. When he seeks advice... He doesn't go out and say, I sure wish I knew somebody to talk to. In chapter one, in chapter 51, verse 1, he says, God, he says, be gracious to me according to your loving kindness, according to your greatness and your compassion. I know you know my sins. I know you know who I am. I know you can see deeper than any of the people I know. Better than my wife. Better than my husband. Better than my boyfriend. Better than my girlfriend. Better than anybody in this room. God, I know you know all there is to know. So I'm coming to you and I'm trying to assess the situation. And the truth of the matter is, I'm not doing well. I have a good friend of mine that I've known for Fifty-something uh, years. My friend knows about Jesus. He knows about God. He knows a lot of things related to religion. We could sit down and have a long discussion, and he would talk a lot about God. But he has never accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. Repentance is not something he has experienced in his life. He knows the Word. He even knows how to play with the Word. A number of years ago, I had a situation where I went to visit a man who was in his 90s in a hospital. We got into a long discussion about faith. And the discussion was not one I was trying to leave at a theoretical level. I was trying to focus it to ask him some serious questions about his own walk with God. And we talked and we talked. But I really struggled that day because I realized very quickly what I was looking at was probably what we call a deathbed confession. A man who had lived 90 plus years of his life without God without any interest in God. And suddenly, 
I'm talking to him about God. I think I could have said, you know, a toothbrush is really a horse. And he would have said, yes, yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's really a horse. The point is, in that particular discussion, he had had so many drugs and was dealing with so many things. I do not know the quality of the decision that he makes, but that's not my job to know. My job, my responsibility, and I'm not saying as a pastor, yes, preacher, that's your job. No, it's your job. It's our job as Christians, is to tell people about Christ. And whether or not those people fully grasp all there is to becoming a Christian or not, that's not your issue. Your issue is to help them as far as you can. And we leave it with the Holy Spirit to carry it where it needs to go. David was struggling. He had his up days, he had his down days. He had days that he followed God and he gave God the credit. He had days he did not do so. But after the situation with Nathan, where finally he was challenged, it didn't result in a brand new David that had no sin. But it certainly resulted in a David who is looking at himself and evaluating his walk. So an assessment is necessary in your life and mine. We all have to assess, ultimately, what is my relationship with God? Is He who I follow in all matters? Is He who I apologize to? Is He to whom I am responsible? He was aware, in verses 2 and 3, he was aware of his own limitations. In Matthew chapter 13, 14 and 15, it says, Indeed, in, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. And for this, people's heart had grown hard. And with their ears... They can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. God wants us to hear. He wants us to see. But all too often, we simply don't know how to listen. And we live in a world where a hardened heart is a, is the challenge for many, many people we know. David is saying in chapter 51, verses 1 to 4, My heart is softened now. I've finally been struck strongly enough that I'm awake. God, I'm sorry. Change me. Repent is what I need. I need to repent. I need repentance in my life. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to follow you. We often hear the words of God, but we do not have them in our heart to be absorbed. And yet, um, we try to find others to blame. We blame the church for not giving us enough teaching. We blame our Sunday school teacher for training us poorly. We, we, we go after different people and say it's got to be their fault, when in fact... Growth is your responsibility and your responsibility alone. No one can force you to grow or not grow. One of the things that I've been very, very blessed over the years, but for the last 15 years I've been working 
in, in something dealing with uh, what we call church planting movements. And church planting movements has to do with training for trainers. But the whole idea behind it is to develop churches that start churches that start churches. Now, we're not talking about churches that own big buildings. We're not even talking about paid pastoral staff. We're talking about churches being small groups where people gather together and hunger for God. They gather together to serve the Lord. And these churches very often will be groups of 12 people, 15 people. Small groups. But they're groups that have learned why, they're, why they exist. The growth in those churches has occurred because the people have learned to be self-feeding. Self-feeding is a very important concept. It simply means not necessarily that we have all Greek and Hebrew scholars that are working. Believe me, the, the farmers that I've worked with across China are not that. But if you ever want to see a Bible that has been well used, you need to see their Bibles. Their Bibles are just absolutely ripped apart because they spend so much time using the Scripture. The Scripture is a living book to them. They've asked me the question, where are we, the Church of China, in the history of the church? They see them, their, their experience as being a living experience tied to the Bible. CPM, church planning movement, is something that challenges us to say, don't ask for others to be the one that feed you. Feed yourself. Learn to feed yourself through the Holy Spirit being your teacher and the Bible being your book. David, somewhere got a little confused on this. But it does say that he did go in verse 4. He went to the right source. And he confesses to God. He says, a sin against God for being independent, out of control, prideful, harmful towards God. All of these things are his sins and he confessed those. There were no excuses given by David. No minimizing of the situation. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Those were Solomon's words. The child that we're looking at of David. In verses 7 to 10, we move from first the assessment, we move to the confession and the cleansing in verses 7 to 10. It says, Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, it goes into that, and in verse 10 it says, Create in me a clean heart. Now, when we look at this, we need to understand, why would it say anything about hyssop? Now, I've just told you that self-feeding means we study the Scripture for ourselves and we learn for ourselves. But there are times when uh, Scripture does have some things that are a little bit more challenging to fully grasp. But the hyssop that it was speaking of, that kind of a plant, was something that was tied to a cleansing ceremony for lepers. And that cleansing ceremony for lepers was to say when a person had been fully cleansed, and leprosy had continued, had ceased to grow on a person, they would have a cleansing ceremony and they would dip the, the hyssop in the blood of a clean uh, bird and then and sprinkle that 
And it was a, it was a kind of a ceremony and, and a way of saying this person is now able to go out in society again. He has been cleaned. But the point was it was a public cleansing. And David was saying, I want to be cleansed publicly. I want to confess my sin. I don't care who knows it. I'm a sinner. I confess. I am not what I should be. But I want a clean heart. Brothers and sisters, for us, as we look at verses 7 and 8 and 9 in there, we need to ask ourselves, in the year 2016, what does it take for us to have a clean heart? As a group and an individual. You see, I want you to have a great walk with God because if you have a great walk with God, we have a great walk with God. We focus. We as a team serve our Lord. Then if we look on, we can look down at chapter 51, verse 17. And this is where there's an establishment of a contrite heart. The establishment of a contrite heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God. What is a contrite heart? One of the things we find in Scripture, it talks about, is a contrite heart means a crushed heart. No, 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 no. It's okay for you to have your heart doing well. I'm not trying to have anybody in here have a problem. But the idea of saying our goals have to be set aside. Our goals need to be God's goals. His values, His morals, His understanding of what is right and wrong. Are the things you're doing in your life more of a reflection of the world in which we live or a reflection of what God has asked you to do? It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. A contrite heart doesn't speak or seek to justify sin. It is a, just simply a crushed heart. There is no justification. It's a confession that our sin is negative, it's not healthy, and it's not what should lead our lives. A contrite heart doesn't play games with God, but it sees its own reward as finding the will of God. A contrite heart accepts the embarrassment for the need for change. Folks, a, a crushed heart means that you have to be like David was where he was standing in front of others and saying, I don't care who knows this. I want my life right with God more than I'm worried about my faith. You and I live in a world where our own faith and how we feel about things and how people view us, the embarrassment it would come upon us, often take precedence over the will of God. According to David, it's wrong. And I have to agree with David. David has got some teaching here that we need to learn. Because our goal needs to be to have a crushed heart. We assess it. We confess our sins. And then we can establish a contrite heart. Wow, what a goal! A contrite heart blames only oneself for sin. No excuses. When you think about Adam and Eve, 
You know, all of us know the story of Adam and Eve. But it's always interesting to me that in that particular story of Adam and Eve, we have to recognize that at the, toward the end of it, Adam began to, to notice how, how things had happened. And the development of a contrite heart was something that certainly Adam and Eve had difficulty doing. Because they began to look at the fruit that they had eaten. And they said, you know, well, you know, God made the fruit. And the serpent certainly encouraged the eating of the fruit. And, you know, certainly in Adam's case, he could say, and Eve, after all, you're the one that influenced me to eat it, so I'm really pretty innocent. I'm three down. I'm not the one that started this thing. It's so easy for us to blame others for our own sin. It really doesn't matter if you're the third one down or the first one down. When we sin, sin is sin. This is where David is saying, I'm not looking at everybody else. I'm not playing the comparison game, trying to find someone who has sinned worse than I. I have killed people. I have had improper relationships with women. I've done many things wrong. And I'm not trying to say, I found four people who are better than me or worse than me. I'm just saying this is between me and God. And God, I'm sorry. I know it's you I have sinned against. Because it's your will, your direction, your commands that I have broken. For many years, I worked in China with a a man uh, that had a, a tremendous heart for starting churches and for reaching people for Christ. Uh, He will be actually here visiting in town fairly soon. I hope to be able to find a time to get him in our church. He is a, a man who originally was from Taiwan. His father was a pastor. Moved to Hong Kong and worked as a chaplain in Hong Kong. And uh, I was his supervisor for a number of years. But one day, he came to my office and he said, You know, uh, I need to talk a little bit about this new direction of where the, the work is going here in general. And I'm trying to figure out how I fit into the picture. Because he said, You know, I've always been just a chaplain. That's kind of what I like doing. I love that kind of ministry. I love working in hospitals. But he said, You know... Uh, I do realize that this discipleship and leading people to Christ is important. It's just vital. And I want to know how I can help to support that. So I started talking to him about working in China. And I said, yeah. You, you know, and he said, hey, 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 hey. I'm from Taiwan. Remember? Taiwan. Uh, China's China. Taiwan's Taiwan. I grew up that way. It's all I've ever heard. I was a member of the the right party and everything, and my party was not that party. And he said, I I, I don't think I could do that. And finally he said, okay. He said, I hear what you're saying. Because I was saying to him, just go over and look. Just meet some people there. I said, I know some people I'd like for you to meet. Just across the border. Just go nearby. Go to Sunjun. And uh, he said, I tell you what. If you can convince my wife, I'll go. He knew that was going to be really difficult. But you know, the Holy Spirit is amazing. The next week, he brought his wife in. And she came in the office and sat down and we started talking. 
And I basically convinced her to take a one-day trip. It was their first trip. Big deal. Big deal for them to cross that border. Major issue. But she agreed she would go and spend one day. Wouldn't spend the night because that's too close to those terrible Gongtandong, the communists, you know. And so, about a week later, she came in my office with him. And she said, those people are just like people anywhere else and they don't know Jesus. They are totally empty. He said, when I talked to them about Jesus, they had no idea what I was talking about. He said, we will go. And she said, we will go. And they planned to go. And they've been working in China and had thousands of churches started over the years. The reason they went was the development of a contrite heart. She had the heart to serve God. But she just needed a little bit of direction. She needed to assess why God made her and what He wanted to do with her life. Brothers and sisters, today, at the beginning of this year, I want God to bless us, not because we've got the best program in town, not because we have the best music in town, not because the preacher can preach well. Those are not issues that should be in it. I want God to bless us because we have a heart for God. I want to ask God to bless us because we'll do whatever it takes to see people come to know Jesus and to see Him walking in our midst. I would ask for you, if you would, to pray with me at this time. And put this prayer not just as something you're listening to, but consider that it may be something that's from your heart as well. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You as a family, asking Your Holy Spirit to reach into our lives and to change us and make us more than we've ever been before. Father, we would ask that a crushed ego, pride, goal, whatever it is of our own hearts would be something we would experience. And that indeed, You would mold our hearts. That You would give us a meaning and a purpose that would make our church be beyond its own control for its growth. Father, help us to grow spiritually. Help us to love really our friends. When we've got them sitting next to us in this service, that we would actually really care about them. Care about their spiritual walk and that we would do anything we could to help them grow and mature. Father, help us to seek out of hunger Your Word, that it might be our teacher. Father, help us to know what it is to be self-feeding. Help us to want to pull out our Bibles at home each and every day, and to try to find what You have for us. Father, we would ask that we would be ministers who would reach outside of this building, 
Father, I give You praise that we've seen over these last few weeks more and more sharing from these brothers and sisters that are stepping out and saying we want to be used, we just need some direction and encouragement. Father, help our people that they would seek You and help our leadership that we would know how to be encouragers in following Your guidance for all that we are. Father, we thank You for our church. We pray for our church and we ask that You would be Lord in every way. In Jesus' name.